Well, good morning, church family. So glad to worship with you today. If you're worshiping with us online, welcome. And here in Newburgh, that's awesome too. Our West family is actually worshiping at the 11th Avenue Park today. What a great day to be worshiping outside, right? I don't know about you, but it's hard to believe it's Labor Day weekend. I don't, I don't remember Memorial Day weekend. I don't remember the 4th of July. I mean, those have just been a blur this whole year, right? But here we are running breakneck speed into fall. And uh, so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Before we jump into our year-long journey of how we're learning how to live and love like Jesus, I want to give you some good news. The first good news is this. Thank you for your generosity, especially in regards to our recent school supply drive. We were able, because of your generosity, to help provide the Glenwood Leadership Academy with all the school supplies they needed as they started the school year in person with their students, and also to meet some needs that are unique this year because of COVID-19. Also working with our partners at Potter's Wheel, we were able to help the, those living in the Goosetown neighborhood to also have the school supplies they need. And finally, our West Campus collected and distributed uh, school supplies for those who live in the 11th Avenue Park area. These are just tangible ways for you and I to live in love like Jesus. And I wanna say thank you for your generosity. Next, oh yeah, let's clap for that for sure. I'm good with that. Next, I just wanted to let you know that we announced this past week that next weekend, September 13th, we are going to regather our Crossroads Kids Ministry, starting with birth all the way up through fifth grade. We're excited about this. We've been working with local health officials as well as the school systems to make sure that we can provide a safe place for the youngest people around Crossroads, as well as our volunteer leaders and our staff. And so we want you to check out the information that's available on our website at cccgo.com forward slash gather. You can find all the information about how the kids ministry will go, the safety guidelines that we are following, as well as there you can pre-register your children who want to attend. We're asking every child to be pre-registered before they attend starting next weekend. That pre-registration will be at the same way, same place that you RSVP for services. And if you have any questions about how to get your child registered or have any questions about those safety guidelines, make sure you reach out to us. We know that this is a, a, a next step for us as we regather as a church family. We're working hard to make sure it's safe and also it's just a healthy worship experience for our youngest people around Crossroads. Also, you can find information about our youth ministry there and the things that are coming up this month with our 6th through 12th grade ministry. And then finally, I want to say a big thank you to Eric Cummings from Community One, one of our partners who preached last weekend here at Crossroads. He challenged us from John 13 how we could consider following this new command that Jesus gives to love others the way that he loved us. He also introduced us to a, an online platform that could be helpful in motivating us to love our neighbor and also a place where we could share stories with each other about how we're learning how to live in love like Jesus specifically. That platform is Love Your Neighbor and you can find it at lynevv.org. Since last week, over 10 different stories have come in. I loved one about a man who said that he was able to take furniture to a woman who was living in some public housing who had no transportation. And in the time that they spent together, he also helped her locate her birth certificate from out of state. I mean, those are just practical ways that somebody is living and loving like Jesus. And I wanna encourage you and myself 
for all of us to lean into how we can live like Jesus, how we can love like Jesus. I want to encourage you to continue being generous, to, to let God's character and the Christ-like character be formed in you. God is doing some great things here in our church. I don't want you to miss out on any of that. And I also don't want us to miss out on any opportunity that God is giving to us. Would you pray with me? Let's just celebrate to God those things. God, we want to thank you for your goodness. We want to thank you for what you're doing in the midst of a crazy year and a crazy moment in our history, Lord. But yet you're still on the throne and you're still active and, and doing things in us and through us. And God, we give you all the glory for that. God, I want to pray a, a hedge of protection over every student in this community who's returned to school or is learning online. God, I want to ask that you would be with every school teacher, every administrator. God, I want you to be with every parent, both the parents who have sent their children to school and the parents who are doing school in their living room or at the kitchen table. God, would you bless each and every person? God, I want to thank you for uh, those tangible ways that we could express your love by giving school supplies to students in this community. And God, I want to thank you for the work of Community One and all of our partners here locally and globally. God, I pray that as we, God, give you the resources that you've given to us, that you would expand and multiply the work that you are doing here on this earth and you would be glorified. And I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder what is the most comforting, the most inspiring, maybe the most encouraging thing that someone has ever said to you. Maybe it was a parent or a coach who took interest in you at a young age and they just spoke words of encouragement or confidence in you that allowed you to think that you could take on the world. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker who's constantly thanking you for your contribution to the team or they're complimenting your work or maybe just they, they express how much you mean to them as a friend or as a fellow coworker. Maybe it's a friend who took the time to send you a text, or maybe they went above and beyond and pulled out a piece of paper and wrote a note, put it in an envelope and put it on a stamp and sent it to you in the mail. Maybe that's still possible. You can still do that today. Maybe they took the time, they made the time just to let you know how much they appreciate you or to encourage you. Well, today we begin a new chapter in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, if you want to turn there with me. And we're actually kicking off a brand new section of our year-long journey. We've entitled this Kingdom Come. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at these last five or six hours of Jesus' life, as well as all the way through his crucifixion and resurrection. And we see Jesus' mission coming to life more than ever. But what we also see is his invitation to join him in the work that he's doing and how to live this life empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll join us for every week of this series. In today's passage, we want to look at what the, the beginning of what scholars have called the farewell discourse of Jesus. He's still in the upper room celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. It's down to 11 now because Judas has exited the scene. And Jesus wants his followers to know the most important things he would ever tell them. And he begins this farewell discourse with these words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What a timely word of encouragement to the disciples who were the original hearers. I mean, Jesus had just told them he was going to go away. He actually told them he was going to die. He told them that one of the 12 is a traitor. He even pointed to Peter and said, you're going to disown me three times. And that's just the news that John records happening in this meal. 
I also think it's a timely word for you and me who live in a crazy world, right? With all so much anxiety, frustration, and unknowns about COVID-19. The financial struggles that we face, the racial tension and cries for justice in our world today. Even the uh, struggles with things like the political discord that's in our world today. And even murder hornets. I mean, that's just in the first eight months of 2020, right? We live in a crazy world. And so Jesus says to his original hearers and to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. I think Jesus is saying, set your mind at ease by trusting me. That's what the second part of verse one in chapter 14 says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, believe, also, believe in God, believe also in me. Some translations use the word trust. Trust in God, trust also in me. Those original words that Jesus spoke are in the Greek language imperatives, which means they're commands. It's a radical call to trust in Jesus as one would trust in God the Father. And it comes with a radical promise that doing so will bring comfort and peace to a troubled heart. I don't think what Jesus is saying is flippant. He's not just saying, oh, come on, get over yourself. Pull your big boy pants on, you know, move on. You're going to be okay. It's not flippant like the, you know, the song, don't worry, be happy or akuna matata. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is a trust that seems present when things are falling apart, like they were for the disciples. I mean, in this moment, they find themselves discouraged, let down, even hopeless, because their rabbi has said he's going to die. Jesus is calling them to hold fast, to believe in him like they believe in God, to trust his faithfulness. And the men that Jesus was speaking to, they were good Jewish men. They knew about the faithfulness of God testified in the Old Testament. They, the trust that Jesus is calling his followers to results in a peace that passes understanding. I mean, anyone can understand peace when things are going good, but it's when things are rough, when the diagnosis is cancer, when the car won't start, when the factory closes down, when the child is making foolish decisions. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's an untroubled spirit in those moments because of who the father is, because of who Jesus is. You see, we trust God that he's bigger than those circumstances, that he is faithful and good and he works with us, in us and through us even with our failings and shortcomings. Jesus tells us many times that we will suffer like he did. He doesn't promise a good time, he just promises that he is faithful. And my prayer is that we won't grow in despair in the face of trouble, but we'll stand on the faithfulness of God. We'll grow in our faith and in our maturity, that our hearts would not be troubled. This trust is not just for times of calamity or crisis, but a perpetual trust in a complete dependence on God. That's something we're trying to grow in as a congregation, that our posture would be a total posture of dependence on God. And he's stretching us and growing us in many ways in the past uh, eight or nine months, right? There's a popular statement around many Christians today that you may have seen as a hashtag or even on Facebook. It says, Christianity is not a crutch, it's the whole stretcher. Do you get that picture? That we're just not a little bit dependent on God, we're completely dependent on God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus goes on in chapter 14 to give us 
how we can have complete confidence in him. He gives us several keys to hold on to that build our confidence in him. And the first is this, our future is secure. Listen what uh, Jesus says in John 14, now beginning in verse two. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus had already told the disciples that he was leaving and now he describes where he's going. He's headed back home. He's going back to heaven and he calls heaven my father's house. You know, heaven's been described as many things and many have used all kinds of analogies to draw a picture of what heaven is really like. But there's only one person who's ever really been there and can tell us about it, who's the expert on the destination, and that's Jesus himself. And he describes heaven as a place with many rooms. The King James Version translates that original word into mansions. When I was growing up outside of Lexington, Kentucky, there was a huge house, a house that I would describe as a mansion. And every time I drove toward Lexington, I'd pass this house. I grew up thinking that has to be like a picture of heaven. And as I became a youth pastor on the weekends in college, I would take several groups of students to Lexington and we'd always pass that house. And pretty early in that ministry, when they didn't know me that well, as we were going to Lexington one day, I said to the kids in the van, hey, if it's okay on our way, I need to stop in and visit my parents for a few moments. And so as I got close to that house, I turned on my blinker and I pulled that church van right up in that circle drive, right to the front door. I wish I had a picture of how big those kids' eyes were, how, how big their mouth was as they thought, wow, Phil's parents live in that house. And then I broke it to them that I had no idea who lived in the house, but it was a big, big place. I think it was a place with many rooms. And Jesus stresses that many rooms so that he would help us understand that there is a place for every one of us, that our future home in heaven is secure, that there's not just a set number of people who are gonna make it, but anyone who believes in Jesus can be with him in heaven. Jesus says, you can trust me about this. I'm not playing games with you. I've been there before. You can trust my words. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now we shouldn't imagine Jesus having to break out his carpenter toolbox, go up to heaven and start framing walls, laying floor, or be the general contractor of some magical, mystical place beyond the clouds. That's not what he's talking about when he says, I prepare a place for you. He's actually referring to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's the way Jesus is preparing a place for you and I to go to heaven. It's through his work of the gospel his redeeming work on the cross, his victory over sin and death by conquering them in the grave. And also because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, a place of authority, a place of honor, a place of advocation for you and for me. Don't get distracted by the analogies people use about heaven, like, I wonder how big my mansion's gonna be, or you know, will there be plenty of room for you there? Think about what Jesus is saying is the most important aspect of heaven. And he says, I'll be there and I wanna take you there with me. You see, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Our focus should not be on golden streets or pearly gates or even the presence of angels, that Jesus is there and that we wanna be there with him forever. 
Jesus wants his followers to trust him personally and focus on the eternal life that's possible and promised to those who believe in him and to have confidence to not be troubled. Merrill C. Tenney says that Jesus' solution to perplexity is not a recipe, it's a relationship with him. And just like the love of expectant parents do everything to prepare to bring that bouncing baby bundle of joy home into their presence, Jesus is going to make it possible for us to be in heaven with him by his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He stresses we can have confidence in this by saying, you know the way. But that brings up some questions, especially first from a guy named Thomas. Look what John records now in verse five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, around church, we give Thomas a pretty bad rap because of his demand to see firsthand the resurrection of Christ. He wanted to put his hands in the fingers, fingers in the hands of Jesus. He wanted to see that pierced side. And people have nicknamed him Doubting Thomas. But in this moment and in other moments in John, we see a different picture into Thomas, one of courage, one of faithfulness, one of devotion. He's curious and willing, and yet he still has some questions. You know, we have the benefit of seeing this all play out. We know the end of the story. We live 2,000 years past these events taking place. But the disciples, and like Thomas, they're watching this unfold in the moment, firsthand. And we need to let them kind of exercise their faith and grow in their faith just like we do. Jesus hadn't really given them all the details. I wonder if you can relate. I mean, are you one of those people who have to know the whole picture before you can take the first step? Are you the person who likes to pull out the old fashioned map and see the destination and how to get there before you put the car into drive? Are you a person who needs to know all the details before you can make a decision? If so, then maybe you can understand the disciples. You can appreciate Thomas and his questions. But listen to Jesus offer a full revelation. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With the start of college football yesterday and the NFL coming up, the chances are we might see somebody holding up a sign that has a scripture reference in the next couple of days. In fact, we see scripture reference posted on all kinds of stuff and all kinds of verses are chosen. Many of those, we might not even know what the reference means. But John 14, 6 is one that I think that we should memorize. We should put it anywhere. It might be a great suggestion for a tattoo if you're in the business of looking for an idea. This one verse sums up the gospel, the meaning of life, the hope we have in this life and the life to come. It sums up Jesus' purpose in coming to this earth, and it sums up all we need to know about following Jesus. It's the sixth I am statement that's noted in the gospel of John. I think there's many, many more. I hope you're adding those to your journal. Jesus has already made a very similar statement earlier in John 10 when he describes himself as the door. He says, I am the door, I am the gate, referring to how the sheep entered the sheep pen. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the literal word he uses is a thoroughfare for travel, but it can also represent the journey itself. I think Jesus is saying, I am the way of life. Jesus is declaring there is a single road that leads to God. And 
he is that road. Jesus is, declare, is showing, not showing a better way because there really is only one way. He's the only port of entry. He's the only pass through the mountains. He's the only bridge over the waters. Some have said this verse might be better stated as Jesus is the way to truth and life. Regardless, he's still declaring that he is the only way. Thomas Akempis says this, without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. And without life, there is no living. Jesus says, I am the way. He also says, I'm the truth. Truth is a stated proposition that matches up with the factual reality. And John has recorded the life, the ministry, the teachings, the miracles of Jesus to declare fully who Jesus is. And it all matches this true statement by Jesus. He is the way to life. He's the way to true relationship with God. And those who were closest to Jesus and saw all this firsthand were eventually convinced after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension that Jesus was truly the only way. He was the truth. He was the life. And they found confidence in knowing this to be true. We see in the gospel or the book of Acts, the, the early church beginning and the followers that we're reading about in John are the ones who were living and loving like Jesus with full faith. We see Peter and John who healed a crippled man and they're approached by the religious leaders. They're arrested and they're questioned about how is this possible? And they said, it's only through the power of Jesus Christ. And then they make a powerful statement that echoes Jesus' words. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. David Guzik, pastor at Calvary Chapel, says this. If Jesus is not the only way to God, then he is not any way to God. If there are many roads to God, then Jesus is not one of them. Because he absolutely claimed that there was only one way to God and he himself was that road. If Jesus is not the only way to God, then he was not an honest man. He was most certainly not a prophet. He would either be a madman or a lying devil. There is no middle ground available. That quote reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said, that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You know, Jesus' statement, I'm the way, the truth, the life, seems very exclusive, and it is. But I also want you to know that it is very inclusive. It doesn't say that there's only a certain type of people who can find the way. It just simply says that there is only one way, and Jesus is it. You see, it's available to all people. In John 1, verse 12, Jesus says to all, or John says, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3, 16 says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. All are invited to join Jesus in heaven by placing their faith in him. You know, we don't argue about the only way in a lot of aspects in our life. Take, for instance, driving down the Lord Expressway. If you were going westbound on the Lord Expressway and you met a car coming in the westbound lane but going east, what would you do? You wouldn't go, oh, you know, I mean, that's good. I mean, do whatever you need to. All roads get to the same place. No. You would start waving your arms. You would do everything you could to distract them and to help correct them going the right direction. Or you would get, do everything you could to get out of their way because you wouldn't want to hit them head on. In many aspects of our life, we're willing to claim absolutes. Absolutes like fire burns, the absolute of gravity, the absolute that one plus one equals two. 
There's no more significant absolute that Jesus is the only way to have life. Abundant life here and now and eternal life in the days to come in heaven. And this should bring us confidence, living an untroubled heart. You know, after declaring this truth of who Jesus is, the writer of Hebrews says these words. Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. Listen to what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, those are all truths about who Jesus is. He says, because of who Jesus is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What confidence we should have by knowing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In the next several verses we're looking at today, they reinforce a constant theme that's imperative in understanding who Jesus is, and it's also essential to all that John has told us about Jesus. John 14, 7 through 11, Jesus is talking, and he shows us that we have a clear picture of God. Listen to what he says. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus explains why he is the only way to the Father. It's because he's the only true representation of God. John 1 says the word was with God, referring to Jesus. In Philippians 2, 6, we know that Jesus was the very nature of God. In Hebrews 1, 3, it says the Son is the exact radiance of every character of the Father. And so, Philip may have, instead of been from Kentucky, he must have been from Missouri, the show me state. He wants to see the Father. And he asked Jesus to show him the Father. And Jesus responds with a rebuke that is firm but loving. He says, you've seen the Father because you've seen me. I think he says, you've heard the Father because you've heard my teachings. You've seen the character and the power of the Father in me. Jesus has continually declared that the work he's doing is the Father's work, and it's by the Father's power. He's constantly pointing us and others to the Father. His words and his work both reflect his deity that can be trusted. Jesus wants us to have confidence. He lived and spoke with constant dependence on God, doing nothing outside of his authority and guidance. And I think that's a powerful example for you and I to follow as we live in love like Jesus. We place our faith and trust in him. We have confidence in him and therefore our character should reflect him. 
That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, that you should live such good lives among pagans that they may accuse you of doing wrong, but then they'll glorify God on the day he visits. When we live and love like Jesus, by placing our confidence in him, listen to what Jesus says happens in verses 12 through 14. He says, very truly I tell you, in fact, this is the truth, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That passage is chock full of promises. It tells us that our prayers are heard. Jesus says, those who believe in me, they will continue doing what I've, doing, what I've been doing. That's exactly why we've taken this entire year to learn how to live and love like Jesus, because Jesus' way of life is the only way to life. And his invitation is to follow him. He gives us direction and purpose and guidance, hope and peace. The work we see him doing is the work that he is calling us to do, to bring spiritual light to the dark places of our world to serve the needs of others humbly, to offer healing and forgiveness to those who have been hurt, to meet the needs of others, to lovingly sacrifice for others so that they could fully know the love of God, all following the example of Jesus and doing what he did, living and loving like him. Jesus says, those who believe in me will continue my work, but he also says they'll do even greater works. Well, what does that really mean? Well, he's not speaking of greater in sense of sensational, but greater in sense of magnitude. And that might be unbelievable or maybe even seem impossible, but think about it. This is Jesus speaking before he's died, before he's resurrected, before he has ascended into heaven. He's speaking before the power of the Holy Spirit have come upon his followers. And after that happened, we see one example early, Peter, who preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to place their faith in Jesus. That's more converts than Jesus ever had in his three years of ministry here on earth, even as the son of God. He's saying, when you follow me and you pray to me and you continue my work, big things, great things, greater things are going to happen. It's still him's work. It's still him doing the work. It's just multiplying. It's expanding. Jesus says one last thing. He says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. That's another powerful promise and it brings confidence. He says it twice in verse 13 and 14. When we're walking and working in the way of Jesus, we're provided the necessary resources to live in love the way he did. I think that's why he says in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, I'll be with you always. I'll be right here cheering you on, providing the resources. I'll be with you as you do my work. We can have confidence. Then when we're asking in the name of Jesus, in the character, in the identity of him, that our prayers will be answered. You know, we've been praying some big prayers around Crossroads this whole year, 2020. We had no idea at the beginning of the year when we began praying big prayers, what we'd be up against with COVID-19 and all kinds of other things. But we recently just posted another set of prayer prompts. You can find these at cccgo.com forward slash prayer. 
Right now, we, we have five prayers that we're praying, fasting about every week. They're not secret prayers like just for staff only. They're for our entire congregation. We're asking God for wisdom. We're asking God for unity. We're asking God for deliverance. We're asking God for alignment. We're asking God for empowerment. And I would encourage you to visit that website and join us every day praying those big prayers. You know, in this moment, Jesus isn't prescribing some magical incantation to be recited, to elicit superhuman powers. But instead, he's commanding us to trust him, to rely on him, to further his identity and his work in his authority. It's an endorsement with a limitation. Jesus promises to answer every prayer that we pray in order to glorify God. God's work in us and through us is always to make him famous. Bruce Milne in his book called The Message of John writes this. You know, life at times does not appear to make discernible sense. The vastness of the universe oppresses us. The seemingly impersonal cycle of nature evidences no master plan. And the story of humanity rolls on generation after generation with little apparent meaning at the heart of it. In our personal lives, unexpected happenings break in unbidden, sometimes cruelly, and we find ourselves lisping the verdict of Macbeth. Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. In such moods, we cry out from our troubled hearts for some word beyond to reassure us that there is meaning, that a heart of love still beats behind the cold indifference and arbitrariness of things. That word is spoken here. In Jesus and in his coming, in his death and his rising, God speaks his word of peace. There is meaning. Life can make sense and purpose can be reborn for us amid the years. In this man, in his life of lowly service unto death, God is made known. A God in whom we truly believe and find peace. The answer to anxiety of troubled hearts is assured knowledge and assured knowledge comes through Jesus. It's a lot of big words to just be simply put by a letter I saw posted on Facebook. It says, dearly beloved, I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place. Then I'll take your place and then we'll go to my place. All my love, your friend, Jesus. Now this morning, is your heart troubled? Do you find yourself anxious? Do you find yourself stressed or frustrated? If so, I wanna encourage you to have confidence in believing in who Jesus is. He's the way. He's the only way. He's the truth. He can be trusted. He is life. There's no other way to live and there's no other reason to live than him. There's no other way to have eternal life or to experience abundant life than in Jesus. So trust him. Let him bring peace to your troubled heart. Are you doing the work of Jesus? Are you chasing the American dream or are you chasing the way of Jesus? You know, we've all been called and gifted to do his work. And while Jesus performed many miracles that we can kind of feel like untouchable to us, it's his simply way of living and loving that he invites us into. He just noticed people around him. He was just willing to stick his neck out or even extend his arms to serve their tangible needs. It's really that simple, just valuing people and lovingly serving them but it has profound impact on each person that we serve and the world around us when we do. So how could you live and love a lot more like him, continuing his work here on earth, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, 
in your family, at your school? Finally, are you relying on the power of Jesus that he provides? Seeking your fame, or are you seeking to make Jesus famous? If you're truly seeking to glorify God and continue on his mission, he promises to provide everything we need for living and loving his way. So I would challenge us in the world of a, uh, in a world around us that could cause us to be so troubled, to believe in God, believe also in Jesus, to follow him as the way, the truth, the life, to trust his identity, his authority, his presence, his power, his position, his example, to continue his work, and to trust God to provide everything we need along the way. Let's pray together. God, thank you for giving us Jesus. Jesus as the only way. Been really different if he wasn't a way or if there was no way. But you've made a way through him who took our place on the cross, who took the penalty for our sins. God, in my prayers that if there's anybody here today who just feels weighted down by their sins, that they would feel the freedom that comes by knowing that, that you made a way for them, that you expressed love to them by giving Jesus as a sacrifice for their sins. God, I pray for the rest of us who have claimed that to be true. I pray that it would make a difference in the way that we live, that people would see that difference in us, that we would trust your authority in our life, that we would trust your example to follow. And God, that we would trust the resources that you provide to help us to live and love the way that Jesus did. And God, I pray that that would bring not just peace to our hearts, but also peace to our family, peace to our neighbors, peace to our coworkers, peace to anybody who comes across our path, God, that they would see the hope that we have, a living, glorious hope that helps us face every day with confidence and to continue the work that you've given us to do until you come back to take us to that place where, that you've prepared for us. Until that day, God, make us faithful. We pray through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.